glad you're in the house. Hey, everybody begin to open up your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke chapter number 10. The Gospel of Luke chapter number 10. They're going to throw Matthew 6.10 on the screen up above you. That's our theme verse of scripture throughout this whole series. But I want you to turn into Luke chapter number um, 10 this morning because that's where the account of Mary and Martha that we've been in throughout this whole Everyday Life series starts. And so I want you to turn there. And if you want to um, double dip or triple dip this morning, we've got a bunch of scripture that we're going to use as we follow Mary and Martha on their journey of everyday life. And so we know this. In this series that we're doing called Everyday Life, God wants to use you every day on the way to where you're going. A lot of us many times uh, think that God has this one big miracle planned out and I got to be in the right place at the right time. Well, the miracle is this, that God wants to use you every day on the way. And if you're attentive to him, you will be in the right place at the right time. And so the reason why we're dressing casual all this month, the month of October for this everyday life series is because we want to literally show the disconnect of how we dress on Saturday mornings versus how we dress on Sunday mornings versus how we dress on Monday mornings and it shows basically three different lifestyles that we have in our life how I dress on Saturday um, when I'm coaching my kids at a soccer game is not how I usually dress on Sunday and it's definitely not how I dress on Monday but if God is going to use us every day on the way there's some things we've got to begin to do in our life and realize that God wants to be a part of every single piece of our life and so with that we have some transformational thinking moments that I want you guys to grab a hold of and those are simply this anything done outside the presence of God whether it be fun church career hobbies or dinner anything done outside of the presence of God is sin and I had to qualify that a little bit last week because we know that the Bible in Psalm 139 talks about this the omnipresence of God where can I go from your presence that it will not be there Psalm 139 talks about it I'm not talking about the omnipresence the all-reaching presence of God I'm talking about the presence of God that you get when you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit gets put in you as a deposit guaranteeing your salvation. He comes up on you so other people can be benefited by the power of God. And with that, the Bible says in Ephesians, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And that's the presence of God that I'm talking about. I want you to be so conscious of the presence of God in you and on you that you don't want to do anything outside of hearing his voice. Whether that be getting your clothes on for the morning. You know, I prayed about what to wear today. Some of y'all saying, and God answered you like that? <laughs> Jeez, you need to pray a little bit harder. No, I pray about, I, I'm developing this culture in my life, and I don't want to call it a habit because it's not a habit. It's a culture in my life that I'm developing of God. I don't want to do anything without hearing your voice on it. God, you got an opinion about everything that I want to do, and I don't do want to do anything outside your presence. And so we don't want to do anything outside the presence of God. The Bible also goes on to say this, anything that does not come from faith is sin. So the Bible says, says this, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I like to use that word, word of God, and, and put in parentheses right behind it, voice of God. 
Because God speaks to you, and you also can read the Word of God. So faith comes, your faith will grow when you hear the voice of God, when you read the Word of God, and God begins to use you. So I want you to, to do everything in the presence of God. And so God wants to use you and to bring the kingdom of God. This is transformational thinking moment number two. He wants to use you to bring the kingdom of God to come into this world. And that's where Jesus prayed this in the Lord's Prayer. And this is our theme verse of Scripture, and it says in Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and so he said your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven how is it going to happen by him giving us this day our daily bread and we have divided this in the scriptures but jesus he never divided it when he spoke it so a lot of us teach it or preach it like this. We stop at the end of verse 10 and say, oh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we preach it like it's an impossible thing. But Jesus gave you the what in what he wanted to happen. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he told you how he would do it by giving you everyday daily bread. By giving you every day what he wants you to do. By giving you every single day a transformational moment, if you'll listen to his voice, you'll encounter the presence of God. And so I don't have time to recap a lot on last week, and so if you missed it, go get the podcast, watch it on Facebook Live, but we dealt with the spirits of, uh, of obligation, manipulation, and victimization, and I don't want you walking around with the victim mentality because of the manipulations that you're under, because of the obligations that you obligated yourself to. And so with that, go catch up on last week's message because the title of this morning's message is I before E. I before E is the title of this morning's message. And so with that, what is I before E? We all heard the, the English phrase I before E except after C. It's basically a mnemonic rule of thumb for English spelling. If one is unsure whether a word is spelled with the sequence E or E-I or I-E, the rhyme suggests that the correct order is I-E unless preceding the, the preceding letter is C, in which the case is E-I. Now, we know that is not always true. It's a principle, not a law, because you spell weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, and it's not being preceded by a C. But you spell chief, C-H-E-I-F, okay? And so with that, you got the I before E, except after C rule. But we're going to talk about a different I before E this morning. We're going to talk about the spiritual I before E. If we have the right I, which stands for interpretation, it'll help us have the proper E, which is expectation. Okay, if we have the right I, if we have the right interpretation of things, whether it be the right interpretation of Scripture, whether it be the right interpretation of the event that took place in our life. And a lot of reasons inner vows and hurts come in is because an event happened, but we had the wrong interpretation of it. <laughs> and we got hurt by it. And so we got to start getting the right interpretation, the right I. And if we get that right I in place, it'll give us the proper E, which is expectations. And so Mary and Martha had a problem with this. And as we read Luke 10, 38 to through 42 it says this now as they went talking about jesus and his disciples now as they went on their way everybody say on their way, on their way. see it was everyday life jesus entered a village and a woman named martha everybody say martha, martha. welcome him into her house say her house <laughs> We qualified why we're saying her house last week. Go catch up on it uh, on the podcast. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted by much serving or obligation. And she went up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, 
Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Question mark. I'm firmly convinced if we'll start reading the Bible but with proper third grade English grammar, we would get a whole different interpretation of it. Right? A lot of us really read that as a statement, not as a question. She was asking Jesus a question, but then she doesn't even give the Son of God himself time to answer, and she answers for him, tell her then to help me. And so with that, we've got to give Jesus time to work in our life and get the right interpretation. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, and it will not be taken from her. And last week we, did, we, said, we said this, God was not mad at what Martha had to get done. He was mad at the motivations and the attitude and the spirit in which she was doing it. The spirit of obligation, I got to get all this done. Manipulation, Lord, do you not care that I, she's left me to do this all alone? She's trying to manipulate Jesus. And then when Jesus did, she didn't even give Jesus time to answer, she goes on to say, tell her then to help me because I'm the victim here. <laughs> Poor pitiful me. Well, she had the wrong interpretation, therefore she had the wrong expectation. And with that, your obligations will lead you to manipulations that will make you fall into victimizations, which gives you the wrong interpretation, which then gives you failed expectations, and you're always disappointed in people in life. Come on, do we see how all this flows together? How many of y'all have ever been disappointed by someone, and you realize now it's because your expectations were wrong, not their doing was wrong? Come on now, somebody give me that. I mean, I'm telling you, this is a good message. I'm excited about it. And so I want, you to, I want you to get into what we're doing this morning with this because if you begin to live a life of obligation rather than opportunity, we talked about that, obligations will lead you to manipulations. And when your manipulation don't work, you'll try to be the victim and victimize people to come into helping you. And with that, you're in the wrong interpretation and then you'll have the wrong failed expectations in your life. And now I said, we're following these two ladies on this journey. And so I want you to look in your Bibles in the gospel of John chapter number 11, because we're going to start talking about interpretation in just a second. But we got to realize um, as we follow these two ladies, Mary and Martha on this journey, the first time Jesus encountered them was in Luke. And we just read that now he's encountered them again in John. And this is the account of Lazarus. When Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Now, I don't have time to read all of John chapter 11, so I need you to go back and read John chapter 11. But, but as, I was, as, as, I, as I preach, I'm always conflicted on how to preach a message because I want the people who are here and come to church regularly and were raised in church and know the scriptures very well, I want to give enough content and energy and, 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 and word of God from heaven to you that you get everything that you want and become satisfied. In the same sense, I'm conflicted of the person who doesn't know Jesus and is here this morning and has never heard the story about Lazarus, and I just jump right in the middle of it. They're already lost, and I haven't even started the message. And so I'm going to quickly recap the story of Lazarus. Jesus had become great friends with Mary and Martha, and they had a brother, Lazarus. He became ill and got sick, and he was about to die. They sent word to Jesus, who was in another city, and that Lazarus is sick and about to die. Jesus then says, I'm going to wait in this city two more days. <laughs> Some friend, <laughs> right? 
And if you read the beginning of John chapter 11 with Martha's obligation, her, her uh, uh, manipulation and her victimization, she does it at the begin, beginning of John chapter 11 as well. And, and so now Jesus, in verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her, and her sister, which would be Mary, and Lazarus. So Jesus at the beginning of John 11, and you've got to get this right. If you don't, you're going to always have the wrong interpretation. It wasn't that he did not love them that he waited two more days. He says right here at the beginning, now Jesus loved Martha and all her obligations, manipulations, and victimizations. He loved her anyway, and her sister Mary, and Lazarus. So there is no question about the love of God. But if you have a question about if God loves you or not, you are always going to have the wrong interpretation, and you'll never end up with the proper expectation. And if we don't get that, there's none in the rest of the message that even matters. We must begin to understand that Jesus loved them. Jesus loves you. That's why John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to the earth. He loves you. The heavenly father loves you. The Holy Spirit is here to lead you to Jesus so you can be in the presence of the heavenly father forever. Let there not be a question of the love of the father for you this morning. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. He loves you. And so with this, Jesus then waits two more days and then says, let us go to Judea again. And so as he was going to Judea, he go, begins to pass down, and then he comes to a place where, where Martha runs out to meet him after Lazarus has already died, and in her manipulation, she said, Jesus, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. And then a little bit later, the victimization and manipulation had rubbed off on his sister Mary, or her sister Mary, and she runs out and says the exact same verbiage, Jesus, if you had not been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus answered with this, did I not tell you if you believed you would see the glory of God? That's where I want us to jump in this morning in your life. I want you to know this, that I don't want you to think of your life as an instance anymore, but I need you to begin to think of your life as an occasion, okay? And I'll define those in just a minute. An occasion takes planning, time to develop and ends up being a lot more beneficial than to just a few people. Your life is an occasion. It's not an instance. Now listen, you going out to eat last night was an instance. But as Corey Hankins, planning for your wedding is an occasion. Amen. Right? A wedding is deliberate. It takes time. It takes planning. It takes energy. It takes money. Going out to eat last night was just a split-second decision because you didn't feel like cooking. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So you cannot begin to think of your life as an instance. You must begin to think of your life as an occasion. You've got to begin to get the right interpretation of your, of your life. If you do not get the interpretation of your life right, Jesus himself can never meet your expectations because they are wrong from the very foundation of your interpretation. And a lot of you have feel that the Father or God or whoever you want to call him or Jesus or the Holy Spirit have let you down at some point in life. And I'm here to say, were you looking at it in the proper scenario as an occasion rather than just an instance? Because if, if the Bible promises that God works all things together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose, that means even though this didn't turn out the way you expected it to, it doesn't mean he's not working in it to bring good and at a later date, and this was part of the occasion, and it wasn't just an instance. Man, we got to get this. 
Because so many believers give up on God before God can even get finished because they're looking at it as a segmented, fragmented life of instance to instance to instance rather than the occasion that's being created. He's creating an occasion for your life. And now listen, I want to give you the difference between the story of Lazarus and another miracle Jesus did where he raised somebody from the dead. So Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick, and he waits basically four days before he goes there. He goes there, they say, Lazarus is dead. And Mary runs out and says, no, 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 don't open the tomb. He stinks by now. Right? And by this time, if you'll read the story, there's masses of people around. I'm talking hordes of people around. But there's another story where Jesus did a miracle in Luke 7. He was walking down the street, everyday life, and a funeral was going down the street, and he walks by, lays hands on the casket, and says, get up, and he gave his son back to the mother and went on. It's Luke chapter 7, verse 11. It's the widow of Nain. And so that was an instance where he did a miracle and raised somebody from the dead. The story of Lazarus is an occasion... The Message Bible says it great. Did I not tell you this would be an occasion for the glory of God? So you must begin to look in your life that God is working in your life as a believer for more than the instantaneous moments for him to move, but to trying to create an occasion to create a culture or to change a culture that you're influencing. He's doing something amazing. And so the difference between an instant and an occasion is this. It is, it, is the amount of, it is not the amount of people who witness it, but the amount of people it affects. It is not the amount of people who witness it, but the amount of, of people it affects. If we are immature and have the wrong interpretation, we will celebrate the instance, but not the occasion because we do not see the big picture. We'll celebrate the miracle. God healed their cancer immediately in a service in the instance, which is praise God. I love the miracles. But some of us will, if we're not mature in our thinking, we'll miss the occasion of God healing somebody through a process. And you got to realize the God of the miracle is also the God of the process. I'm telling you. If, if, I have not begun to be, if I had not begun to understand in my life that he was the God of the process, I would have quit the ministry a long time ago. If I have not begun to understand he's the God of the process, I would have been divorced a long time ago. Come on. If I had not begun to understand he's the God of the process, my kids would have been up for adoption a long time ago. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. He is the God of the process. And he's growing everybody. And he's trying to grow you. And so listen. We must not just celebrate the instance because the instance is the instance and, and, if the, and, if it, and when it is the power of God moving, let's celebrate it, but not at the expense of saying, well, God answered their prayer, but not their prayer. I, I love what Pastor Mitch said two weeks ago. If God heals you miraculously or heals you through a doctor, all glory goes to God. There is no second-rate healing. Yeah. I mean, praise God. Yeah. He's moving in your life, and so I want you to begin to understand the occasion Versus the instance. Now listen, the occasion was a circumstance, not a condition. The occasion was a circumstance of Lazarus. It was, an, it was a circumstance, not a condition. What's the difference? A circumstance are when bad things happen in life because life is life. That's a circumstance. You didn't control it. It hit you. You didn't go pursuing it. Okay? And so as circumstances happen, conditions are places we find ourselves in because of our decisions. 
Okay? Conditions are places we find ourselves in because of our decisions. With that, some of you are in great places because of your decisions. With that, some of you have been in bad places because of your decisions. Praise God, he's still the God of the good places and the bad places, and his grace is all sufficient enough. No matter what decisions you've made previous from this moment on, he can begin to change everything and work all things together for good and make your life into an occasion for the glory of God. And so quit looking at the instance of your conditions. Come on now. And watch what God can begin to do in every area of your life. Many people forget the first part of the story, but when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Don't let something die because you gave up on it in the instance that God is trying to make into an occasion. Don't give up on something. Because God didn't move in the instance when he's trying to create an occasion. Remember, an occasion is deliberate. It takes planning. It takes time. It's got a greater purpose because it, it affects more than just a few. Your life is an occasion for the glory of God. It is deliberate. He said, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. So it's a process that he's working on to get you there. Plans to give you a hope and a future so your instantaneous moment, good, bad, or otherwise, is not affecting the overall occasion, but it will play a part into it. And if you'll commit the goods and the bads to God, he'll make all all of the instances work together for good in the big occasion because he loves us and we love him and we're called according to what he's called us to do. So what has your interpretation of life been as of late? What has your interpretation of the government been as of late? What has your interpretation been of the rain we've had for the past week as of late? I've heard people say, well, God's blessing us. Well, God's mad at us. I don't understand. Why isn't God giving us an ark? <laughs> right? All the interpretations. <laughs> I mean, there's interpretations across the board. <laughs> but I do know this, that one week of crazy heavy rain in the middle of October can be an, happen in an instant, but it can be a part of an occasion <laughs> come this spring when God wants new trees to plant. <laughs> come on, do, do we understand? See, because we in society are always looking at things in the moment and backwards, never forwards. We always misjudge the instance, not realizing God's trying to make an occasion for the glory of God. And if we only look at things in the moment and only look at things looking back and we're not looking forward to what God is trying to do. This is why you need the Holy Spirit, because the Bible says the Holy Spirit will tell you things to come. Not what you have done. <laughs> right? So when I talk to the Holy Spirit, and, and, and he is amazing, okay? He's more than my best friend. He, he, is, he is my everything. When I talk to God, the Holy Spirit, I'm like, Father, with, through your Holy Spirit, show me what to be ready for. Show me things to come in my life. What are you making an occasion out of? <laughs> the current things whether they be circumstances or conditions either one in my life i always bring them before god and say god i give you all of it 
whether part of it's my decision or none of it's, it's just happening, I give you all of it to make an occasion out of it for your glory. And that is now my interpretation of everything that happens in life. Good, bad, otherwise, car breaks down, something doesn't go right, air conditioner broke, house gets flooded, whatever, whether it be a circumstance or a condition, I have one obligation as a child of God, and that's to say, God, all these things happening, how can I see this as an occasion for your glory? Because if we have, have any other interpretation, we're going to get frustrated at our interpretation. And when our interpretation's wrong, our expectations will never get met. Many of you, when you got married, had an interpretation of what it should be like. And now your expectation of what it is like isn't being met. If you can get your interpretations right and begin to manage your expectations your life will get a whole lot better real quick. The one thing I've learned to do uh, in my life as of late is to manage my expectations. The first message of this series, I talked about the extremists, the alwayses and the nevers. I'm the extremist guy. It's either an always or a never. You always say this or you never do this, right? Well, when I manage my expectations and realize it's not an always and it's not a never and it's just a sometimes and a sometimes, it de-escalates a lot of issues. But if I have the wrong interpretation and I don't manage my expectations, then my expectations are never met because I didn't have my interpretation founded in Him. I need to get my interpretation founded in Him so then He can set my expectation level. And when He begins to set my expectation level, Everything changes. For example, in marriage. We all go into marriage thinking it's going to be one way, correct? We all have our ideal marriage, what it's going to be like. Has anybody's ever turned out that way? Raise your hand. If it has, just come up here and and preach it, right? Everything's been perfect and lovely and you've never had a fight? Yeah. To the man who's not married yet, amen. Hallelujah. With that, I went into the, the... my marriage covenant with this expectation. We're going to love one another. We're going to cherish one another all the days of our life. (laughs) That's good. I love it. But even biblically, it doesn't really match up. The Bible says this about the expectations of the husband in marriage. Husbands, you're to love your wife as Christ loves the church, to nourish her and to cherish her even as your own flesh and to give yourself up for her. That wasn't my expectation of marriage. My expectation was, you give 100%, I'll give 100%, let's go at this together, and together we can conquer the world. Jesus never said that. That's not in the Bible. Now, don't get me wrong, both of you got to give 100%. Okay? But with that, husbands, your expectations in marriage should be to lay down your life and to serve. That's good. Women, y'all should have been standing up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Preach it, pastor. Ain't never heard a better message in my life. Hey, I mean, where's the rags and the hats? And come on, are you kidding me? Our interpretation of what marriage should be like. And heaven forbid if we should base it on an American marriage. 
Most of us are nowhere close to biblical. Right? But my interpretation of what marriage was like was wrong. And it wasn't until I got before God mad one day, God, I can't believe what the da 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 And he's like, have you even read the Bible? <laughs> of course I've read the Bible, right? Me and God have these conversations. <laughs> and he said, you are supposed to love and serve and cherish her. Her response to it is none of your business. Come on. Mm. <laughs> it is to my business. I'm affected by it. I got to live with her. <laughs> right? No, no, he said... Your job is to love and to cherish her. And I failed miserably at that at times, right? Because we all have. But with that, my interpretation had to change. When my interpretation began to change, then my expectations of her began to change. So listen, expectations are this. When, when you have expectations, they, God does not meet your expectation because they are emotionally based, but because they are faith-based. God does not meet your expectation being emotionally based, but faith-based. Listen, the word emotion comes from a French word called emovoir, which means to stir up. The root word of emotion is motion or be, to be moved into motion. Listen, have you ever heard the phrase, I was moved to tears? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You were moved by emotion. Or have you, have you heard this? Um, uh, uh, I was moved to make a difference. You see these great initiatives all around the world. People were moved or stirred up by emotion to make a difference. And some of it, the stirring was so deep, it actually is making a difference. But listen, have you ever been moved to laughter? See, you're moved into an area of emotion. Listen to this. Emotions are great, but emotions were never meant to be decision makers. I'm going to say it again. Emotions are great, but they were never meant to be decision makers. Some of y'all got a, a, a $70,000 car because of emotions. Some of y'all got a house payment that you couldn't afford because in the moment when the realtor showed you the house, you were moved and said, I just feel this is where we're supposed to be. Come on now. I feel it in my bones. I just feel it. It's got to be God. I hadn't felt this way in so long. Do, do, do we get this? When we're stirred up by feelings or moved to motion, emotion by feelings, when, when we're doing things based on a feeling rather than the voice of God that we're supposed to be hearing, many times we'll make the wrong decisions and then blame God for our decisions. Now listen, many of you, I prayed with people like this all time. Oh, pray that we get this house. We know, we believe, we feel this is God, <laughs> right? So I believe you've heard from God. Now I've learned to listen how people say stuff. And so my next question is always now is, have you heard from God? Well, what, what we feel, what, no, I didn't ask if you felt. I asked if you heard. And Many of you are in a situation today because you felt it was the will of God and believers started praying for you to get into this house or car or thing or job or career or whatever it is that now your biggest prayer request of the will of God to happen has now become your biggest burden of God get me out <laughs> or help or I can't do this. So emotions are great, but they were never meant to be decision makers and to all those people out here who say, well, I just don't have emotions, <laughs> you're wrong. Amen. 
Because if you got fired, and by, if you walked up to your job tomorrow morning and you were fired and all your stuff was kicked out on the side of the curb, you wouldn't say, darn, that sure was a great career. <laughs> don't tell me you don't have emotions. It may take a little bit more for them to get stirred up than others, but don't tell me you don't have them. Right? Everybody knows I have emotions. Amen. When my football team is losing or winning, right, I'm emotional. And my wife leaves the room. <laughs> So don't tell me you don't have emotions. They're great, but they're never made to make, be decision makers. Emotions are beneficial because they add to the experience, but now all we want are emotional experiences rather than faith-based experiences. Emotions are great because they add to the experience. They add to the ambiance, you know? I, I love going to, 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 to fun, crazy, exciting restaurants and stuff like that, eating all kinds of food because of the experience. But after a while, you start comparing experience to experience, and then when one experience doesn't meet the other experience, and my emotions weren't met, my expectations are deflated. So emotions are meant to add to the experience, but soon all we want is emotional experiences and never faith-based experiences. You know, God can move just as much in a worship service where people are up and dancing and, and in the presence of God, and you got the Holy Ghost goosebumps, just as much as a crowd that never says a word, but is truly sitting in the anointing and resting in the word of God. But because we want the emotion and not the faith-based experience, we miss God sometimes. Oh, I'm the worst about this. I'll be preaching a message and I'll know it's good and everybody will be dead silent. I'll be like, are you with me? And we're like, and y'all like, yeah, you're sitting in the anointing. It's just, I wanted the emotion. <laughs> I wanted the amen. Let me know I'm doing good if I'm doing good, right? I mean, I'm the worst. Amen. Thank you. Come on. And so with this, because we have let emotions move us, we have the mindset that they will move God. Because we have let emotions move us, we now have the mindset that our emotions will move God. God has never been moved by emotions. If he was moved by emotions, he would have ripped his son off that cross, destroyed the world, and said, Jesus, you're coming home, baby. If he was moved by emotions, that's what he would have done. But he was moved by his word or faith. The Bible says faith pleases God. And with that, with faith being the pleaser of God, not emotions, we must make faith-based decisions moving forward because with that Emotions have never moved Almighty God, but faith has. Faith always will. God does not meet your expectation because they are emotionally based, but faith-based. As the ministers are going to the sides over there and getting ready to minister and the worship team's up here, I want you to begin to think about this for a moment. Mary and Martha said the same thing to Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They both said it. John eleven twenty one and John eleven twenty three. Listen, bad attitude, misery, anger, tears, joyful celebrations, all this stuff, doesn't make it come quicker. A lot of you think if you're mad, it's going to make the answer come quicker. It's not going to make it come quicker. Maybe God's trying to work something in you to show you what your trigger points are, and he's just letting you get mad. God, God stopped me in the middle of my madness one time. He said, why are you mad? And I said, I don't know. I'm just mad because it hadn't happened. He said, maybe you got an issue. 
Maybe he was letting me get mad so he could show me the issue that I had to fix in my heart. See, maybe he'll let you get moved to tears to show you a burden that he wants you to fix. Maybe he'll let you experience the emotions because then you'll feel his heart for a situation. But let's not confuse the two. It doesn't make it the answer come quicker. Because emotional basket case, Mary ran to his feet and did all these things and was weeping and crying. It didn't make Jesus run to the tomb quicker. It didn't make him adjust his agenda any way, shape, or form. Why? Because he's trying to make an occasion. And then now they're outside of the tomb and the Bible says there's a lot of people there. And he looked around. And listen, Jesus even wept in this story. It's where the Bible verse, Jesus wept. Everybody remembers that one because it's the shortest verse in the Bible and we all love it. Jesus wept. He was even moved to emotion, but emotions didn't overtake him. Now listen. When you're miserable, it doesn't make it come quicker. It doesn't make the family situation better. It doesn't change anything. But everything about who you are is expressed in what you say with your mouth or what you say with your body language. And in this, Jesus didn't adjust his time frame to make the occasion happen but in the end he looked around and said did I not tell you that this would become an occasion for the glory of God some of you are going through some things that if you look at it as an occasion rather than an instance you'll begin to see the brightness on the other side You begin to see the brightness of the glory of God beginning to come to you rather than looking at the problem that you're in. Listen, a lot of people think that because you lead worship or you preach or you're in ministry, you're immune from a lot of things. <laughs> you're not immune from anything. In fact, we go through all the same trials, problems, issues, and everything that, that everyone else does. But how you handle them determines a lot about who God's creating you to be. And we're not immune from things because we're up on a platform with a microphone. In fact, it almost makes it worse because everything we go through is exposed. And we still got to get up here and act like nothing's wrong in the instance because we're believing for the occasion, for the glory of God. So your interpretation this morning of your life, some of you think you're in a miserable place, some of you think you're in a good place. Have you looked up to heaven and said, God, show me my life. Begin to interpret for me. And Jesus closed the story and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of all the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. To close this message, I want to ask you this. Have you looked at who's in your life in an everyday basis? They're in there because God wants to show them something about the occasion called your life. He wants to show you something about the occasion of your life to win them to Jesus Christ, to help them have a closer walk of faith, to encourage them in their walk of faith. He's trying to show you your life 
and the occasion that it is, not just for your sake, but because he's put a lot of people in your life, and you are an occasion for the glory of God.